All right, let's take our Bibles this evening to 1 Samuel chapter number 20. 1 Samuel chapter 20. And we're going to continue looking at the life of David chapter by chapter. And we'll be looking at chapters 18, 19, and 20 as we look at the relationship between Jonathan and David. And they had a very, very special friendship in the Bible. And I want to make sure that I devoted a message to that is that uh, relationship is sort of strewed across three chapters uh, here, and we want to make sure we um, devote an entire message to their friendship, because I believe that God wants us to see that and uh, understand the importance of friendship. First Samuel chapter 20, go with me to the end of the chapter, verse 41 and 42, and uh, if you are able to do so, if you'd stand for the reading of God's word. Good to see Thelma and Eduardo in the service this evening. Been a while. God bless you all. Welcome back. Good to see you tonight. First Samuel 20, verse 41 and 42. The Bible says, And as soon as the lad was gone, David arose out of a place toward the south and fell on his face to the ground and bowed himself three times. And they kissed one another and wept one with another until David exceeded. And Jonathan said to David, Go in peace, for... As much as we have sworn both of us in the name of the Lord, saying, The Lord be between me and thee, and between my seed and thy seed forever. And he arose and departed, and Jonathan went into the city. The strife between Saul and David had grown so tense uh, that David had to flee, leave, be on the run for the next handful of years. And uh, this would be one of the last times that David and Jonathan would see each other. I believe one more time in a handful of chapters, Jonathan travels to see David and they spend a little time together. But this is one of the last times they'd see each other, a friendship that we'll go back and look beginning in chapter 18, a friendship that was very, very special. The title of the message this evening is this, The Value of True Friendship. Um, Oftentimes we de-emphasize, especially men, we de-emphasize the importance of Christian friendships. Uh, But God has a lot to say about the importance of them and the value of them and how we develop these and build these. And I hope tonight the message will help you to review and revisit your friendships and see where you are with each of those. Let's pray. Lord, thank you tonight for the Bible. Use it to speak to our hearts And Lord, as we look at this example of David and Jonathan, may we be challenged. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, a quote I've used oftentimes uh, from this pulpit is this. Life is all about relationships. Life is all about relationships. I wholeheartedly believe that. You show me the quality of your relationships, I'll show you the quality of of your life. Someone who has a lot of money and shallow relationships is a person who's miserable, a person who has deep, deep uh, relationships that are healthy but, not, but does not have a lot of money is someone who can still be and oftentimes is happy and joyous. The Lord knew all of this when he gave us the two greatest commandments in the Bible. What are they? Love the Lord thy God and love thy neighbor as thyself. Both of those revolve around relationships. First, our relationship with God, and then our relationship with our fellow man. By loving our neighbor, we develop friendships that help carry us through life 
especially hard times. Aren't you glad that when you're going through a difficulty that you can come to church and just almost by osmosis, almost just by being in the building, uh, you feel your spirit picked up and lifted up. How many of you have ever been going through a challenging time in your life and forced yourself to church and after you came to church, you went home and you didn't even necessarily tell anyone what your problem was, but you just felt better because you were at church. You know what I'm talking about this, this evening? And uh, then when you have someone at church, someone who's a fellow Christian, that you can share in confidence that struggle and they can get down on a knee and pray with you Amen. and partner with you in bearing that burden, that, listen, that is so vital and so important. Trying to carry burdens in life by ourselves, trying to go through hardships in life on our own and pushing everyone out and, and being secluded and being that turtle with our head tucked away in the shell, uh, that's a hard way to live life. In fact, Proverbs 18.24 says, A man that hath friends must show himself friendly, and there is a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. Friendships are built on commonalities that we share with each other. I've talked about my freshman year of college. I arrived on campus. Um, there were probably a 1,000 freshmen that particular year, and you gave it three hours, and people had found uh, others. They, had a common, uh, they found common ground with others in three short hours. And listen, these are people. You have uh, people from Maine and Arizona become best friends in three hours. How does that happen? They're finding commonality. Uh, either they're uh, carnal and they're going to be carnal together or they're spiritual and they're going to be spiritual together. But co- friendships are built on commonalities. Now, when those commonalities, and this is a vital part of the introduction of the message, so please dial in with me here. When those commonalities are sinful, our friendships will be shallow your commonalities with someone else are shallow and sinful, your friendship will be shallow and sinful. Misery loves company. Misery loves company. Uh, when uh, two people have a common enemy, oftentimes they'll become friends so that they can gossip about that common enemy. That's a shallow friendship that won't stand the test of time. That's a shallow friendship that's sure to be filled with sin. Now, in contrast, when those commonalities are spiritual, then there is the potential for a deep godly friendship to form that can model the friendship that David and Jonathan enjoyed. Oftentimes, we crave a deep relationship, but we put parameters around it and we want that deep relationship on our terms. We almost want to custom make a friend. They have to be so tall and weigh so much and look a certain way and dress a certain way and talk a certain way and act a certain way or I won't be and be a certain age or I won't be their friend. And listen, when you put parameters around that, you are really limiting someone who God very well may want you to be deep, 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 deep friends with. I would love to see an 18, 19, 20-year-old young man or young lady strike up a friendship with one of our senior saints who uh, is a widow or a widower and take the time to go get to know them and develop that deep friendship with them. And you know what? Uh, You look at the story of David and Jonathan, and one thing I learned in studying for this message is that many Bible theologians believe that Jonathan was anywhere from 25 to 40 years older than David. 
25 to 40 years older than David. Now, we can't prove that, but you, you go and look at uh, the age of Saul and Jonathan being the firstborn, David just being a young man in his teens most likely when he came into uh, the, the palace there. There would have definitely been some sort of an age gap, possibly 25 to 40 years. Notice that Jonathan did not let the age gap between him and David uh, limit their friendship. He did not say, well, because I grew up in the palace and David grew up in the field, we can't be friends. Because I wear a certain set of clothes and fight wars a certain way, and David wears another set of clothes and goes at it a different way, we can't be friends. They uh, did not have Uh, Many things in common, but there was one thing they both had in common. They both deeply loved the Lord. As we'll see in a few minutes, that love for God is what brought them in line with each other and was the catalyst that drove them to having a deep friendship. And I propose that biblical friendships are built on the foendation of spiritual maturity. I would encourage you to write that down. Biblical friendships are built on on the foundation of spiritual maturity. If you are immature in the Lord, you will never enjoy a Jonathan and David type friendship. The deeper you grow in your love for God, and the more passionate you are in that love for God, the more likely it is that you can have the depthness of friendship that David and Jonathan enjoyed. If you want deep friendships, then become a godly man or woman who deeply cares for the need of others, and then let God bring about those friendships organically in His time. Another mistake I see is that people try to force a friendship. You will be my friend. You will care for me. Ah, why didn't he text me? Why didn't she text me? Boy, I'm really trying to make this friendship go, and and, and they're just not there. And, And you press and push and press and push and... Listen, uh, the the godly David and Jonathan type friendships aren't forced. They're not forced. They're two people who deeply love God. In time, their lives come in line with each other and that friendship is deeply enjoyed. Uh, They happen organically. They happen in God's time. We can't force it. We can't rush it. We must wait on God's timing. I want us to look at three main thoughts this evening as we consider the title, The Value of True Friendship. Now, each point, uh, one, two, and three, each point has three subpoints. So, one, two, three, and each point has an A, B, and a C. Let's jump in tonight, look at point number one as we look at, at the friendship of David and Jonathan and try to draw some applications for ourselves. Notice, number one, the commencement of their friendship. The commencement, for you younger ones in here, um, uh, the word commencement means the beginning. Okay, the beginning or the commencement of their friendship, where it commenced, where it began. Let me give you a letter A here. Notice Jonathan's anticipation. To really understand how this friendship uh, happened, we have to back up before Jonathan met David and understand how Jonathan got to where he got when David came on the scene. I'm just going to say this up front. I credit Jonathan more for this friendship than I do David. I really do, and I think you'll understand that why, understand why in just a moment. Turn back to 1 Samuel 14 and look at verse number 6. 14, verse number 6. Jonathan was nothing like his father Saul. And uh, chapter 14, verse 6 shows us an example of how much more valiant and brave and courageous Jonathan was 
than his father. Look at verse number 6. The Bible says, And Jonathan said to the young man that bare his armor, Come, and let us go over unto the garrison of these uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will work for us, for there is no restraint to the Lord to save by many or by few. You see how strong Jonathan's faith is. By the way, Dad, King Saul, is hiding under a pomegranate tree down in the valley, uh, uh, wringing his hands in fear, not sure what to do. Jonathan is... Is, going, is putting himself out there and giving God a chance to work. Look at verse 7. And his armor bearer said unto him, Do all that is in thine heart. Turn thee. Behold, I am with thee according to thy heart. Then said Jonathan, Behold, we will pass over unto these men, and we will discover ourselves unto them. If they say thus unto us, Tarry until we come to you, then we will stand in our place and will not go up unto them. But... If they say thus, come up unto us, that we will go up, for the Lord hath delivered them into our hand, and this shall be a sign unto us. And both of them discovered themselves under the garrison of the Philistines. And the Philistines said, Behold, the Hebrews come forth out of the holes where they have hid themselves. And the men of the garrison answered Jonathan his armor bearer and said, Come up to us, and we will show you a thing. We'll show you a thing or two. And Jonathan said unto his armor bearer, Come up after me, for the Lord hath delivered them into the hand of Israel. Let me pause the reading here. Uh, uh, Jonathan had just him and his armor bearer. A garrison would have been a large number of Philistine soldiers, an entire unit. So you have a unit of soldiers standing there, and all you have is Jonathan and his armor bearer. And Jonathan turns to his armor bearer and says, they're inviting us to go up. We're going to go up, and the two of us are going to take on that military unit. We're going to wipe them out. What faith? Look at verse 13. And Jonathan climbed up upon his hands and upon his feet and his armor bearer after him. And they fell before Jonathan and his armor bearer slew after him. And that first slaughter, which Jonathan and his armor bearer made, was about 20 men uh, within, as it were, an half acre of land, which a yoke of oxen might plow. Wow! Two on 20. The others are just standing there watching and Jonathan and his armor bearer make light work of these guys. And, and, and listen, make no mistake, God used Jonathan to do that. But Jonathan put himself out there by faith and said, I believe that if they invite us up, that's God saying we can go up and take them. Jonathan was everything that his father wasn't. Jonathan was courageous when his dad was acting cowardly. Jonathan was God-fearing when his father was in every way godless. Jonathan was a true leader of men while dad couldn't even seem to lead himself. Jonathan was the oldest son of Saul and had been groomed by Saul and prepared to be Israel's next king. And then dad blew it so bad that God ripped away the kingdom not only from Saul rip the kingdom away from Jonathan as well. Go back to 1 Samuel 15. 1 Samuel 15 and look at verse number 27. Now think of this as though Jonathan is standing in the background watching this conversation between Samuel and Saul. Was Jonathan there? I don't know. But no doubt Jonathan knew of this in short order if he wasn't present to witness it. Look at verse 27 and think of this as Jonathan is anticipating being Israel's next king. And as Samuel turned about to go away, 27, 15, 27, as Samuel turned about to go away, he laid hold upon the skirt of his mantle and it rent. So Saul reaches forward and he grabs hold of Samuel's mantle and it tears. 28, and Samuel said unto Saul, unto him, the Lord hath rent the kingdom of Israel from thee this day 
and hath, look here, given it to a neighbor of thine that is better than thou. Imagine this from Jonathan's perspective. Jonathan is anticipating being Israel's next king. He's a godly man who has strong faith in the Lord. He's put himself out there just like David did when he walked down in the valley with uh, Goliath in chapter 17. Uh, Jonathan walked into his valley, if you will, and took on 20 soldiers, a whole garrison. And because of that, an entire war was won. Uh, Jonathan had had his Goliath experience, if you will, in chapter 14. David had his in chapter 17. Jonathan is anticipating being... Being the next king, and dad blows it so bad that uh, the, the God's man looks at Saul and says, the kingdom has been taken from you and given to your neighbor. You know what that means to you, Jonathan? That means you're not going to be king. You're not going to be king. Jonathan anticipated being king, no doubt. You say, where does it say that in the Bible? I think that if you put yourself in Jonathan's shoes, you can understand. He's been groomed by dad to be the next king, and all of a sudden, that hope has been ripped away. We see the anticipation. Notice letter B, Jonathan's awareness. Jonathan's awareness. Now, we get to chapter 18, and David has just killed Goliath at the end of chapter 17. I have often wondered if Jonathan was indeed willing to go into the valley and fight Goliath. I mean, based on what we saw in chapter 14, um, Jonathan had the courage to do it. Amen? I don't think that Jonathan's not going in the valley to fight Goliath had a whole lot to do with Jonathan. I'm speculating here, okay? Might get to heaven to find out this just isn't true. But based on what happened in chapter 14, it would seem that Jonathan had the courage to go down in the valley and fight Goliath, but Dad did not let Jonathan go in the valley and fight Goliath because Dad wanted Jonathan to live to be the next king. And so David goes in the valley instead, and he kills the giant. And now David is standing before Saul, chapter 18, verse 1, standing before Saul and Jonathan, and instantly Jonathan has enough discernment to know that David is the neighbor. He is God's anointed man to be Israel's next king. Look at 18, verse 1. It came to pass... When he had made an end of speaking unto Saul, David, David made an end of speaking to Saul, that the soul of Jonathan was knit with the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And Saul took him that day and would let him go no more home to his father's house. I think Jonathan looked at David right there and he said, This is it. This is the guy. This is Israel's next king right here. This is the anointed one to take my place. Uh, this is the one. Now, a lot of folks, just as Saul did, would have looked down with jealousy and decided they were going to hate David. But Jonathan was so mature in the Lord that instead of hating David, letter C, we see Jonathan's acceptance, his acceptance. He accepted David. This passage here blows me away. It shows a level of maturity on Jonathan's behalf that is just so impressive. Look at verse 3. Then Jonathan and David made a covenant because he loved him as his own soul. 18 verse 4. 
And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was upon him and gave it to David and his garments, even to his sword and to his bow and to his girdle. Here, Prince Jonathan is wearing royal apparel. He sees David and instantly they become, uh, I'll just use the term soulmates because it says their souls were knit together. I know that's a term we often use for husbands and wives, but they, they did. They became soulmates. And Jonathan goes as far as taking off his royal robe and giving it to David to say, you are the one who will take my place. Here is my royal robe. Here is my sword. Here is my shield. Uh, you are the one I submit to you as the next king. I accept that this is the case. Now, we're going to look a little closer at that covenant in verse 3 in just a moment. But uh, look at what Jonathan did in verse 4. He took his royal robes and gave them to David. He accepted the fact that this man was God's chosen one to be the next king. Instead of fighting against God and his plan, uh, he wholeheartedly embraced God's plan. Do you understand the maturity in Jonathan to do this? Wow! Oh, the humility and unselfishness required for Jonathan to give his heart to David and be his soulmate. Oh, the humility and unselfishness. And if you are looking for points of practicality in the sermon this evening, write down the words humility and and unselfishness, because a good friendship will not thrive unless you are willing to be humble and unselfish. Humble and unselfish. Two sinners in any relationship are going to have their rubs. And by the way, we're going to see in a few minutes, David and Jonathan had a major rub between the two of them coming down the pipeline. But Jonathan's maturity, Jonathan's humility, and Jonathan's unselfishness would preserve the friendship. Here he is, Prince Jonathan, and instead of holding on to the hope and dream of being the next king, he accepted what God's man said. He accepted that he would never be king. When he identified who he perceived to be the next king, he showed humility and unselfishness and gave him his royal robes. I cannot even begin to emphasize how much character Jonathan had to be able to do this. Long before David and Jonathan met each other, Jonathan, talking about spiritual maturity, a good Christian friendship is built on a foundation of spiritual maturity. I said that in the introduction. Jonathan had prepared his heart long before he met David. Jonathan had accepted God's will for his life, even though it was not what maybe he would have chosen for himself. Here's that phrase again. Strong Christian friendships are built upon spiritual maturity. Listen up, I'm going to help you understand what spiritual maturity is. Boy, this is getting, putting it on the bottom shelf right here. All right, you ready? Mature Christians make molehills out of mountains. Immature Christians make mountains out of molehills. If you are constantly nitpicking how everyone else is treating you, you need to grow up. I say that as lovingly as I know how. Real Christians, mature Christians, take mountains of problems in a relationship 
and they turn them into molehills. We're not looking for reasons to be offended. Psalm 119 says, Great peace have they which love thy law, and nothing, nothing shall offend them. Matthew and I were bantering back and forth in the car some weeks ago, and I told Matthew, I'm going to preach a sermon entitled, How Much Do You Love God's Word? And I'm going to preach against every single thing I can to try to offend everyone in the room and see how much people love the Bible. I'm not actually going to do that. But it's fun to talk to my junior high son about that and uh, have a good time with that. Listen, uh, 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 mature Christians, mature Christians are clothed in humility and unselfishness. They're taking problems that rise in a friendship and instead of blowing them up and making them bigger... Love covers a multitude of sins. They're bringing them down and making them smaller. Jonathan accepted who David was, and instead of becoming his rival, became his best friend. We see the commencement of their friendship. Notice, number two, the commitment to their friendship. The commitment to their friendship. Now, let's look closely here at the Scriptures, and let's see what made their friendship tick, what made their friendship work. Letter A, notice their covenant. Their covenant. Look at verse 3 with me. 1 Samuel 18 and verse 3. The Bible says, Then Jonathan and David made a covenant. Look here, speaking of Jonathan, because he loved him as his own soul. Now, how many of you have a cynical side to you? Raise your hand if you are a cynic at times, all right? The rest of you are gullible. If you don't have a cynical side, then you're just gullible, right? Uh, I have a cynical side to me, and I, I think it's healthy on some level to be cynical. Amen, Brother Vara? You've got to be cynical on some level. Uh, but if you're overly cynical, that's not good either. So you've got to keep that in balance. And as I was meditating, mentally chewing over the relationship of David and Jonathan this week, I was laying in bed one night, falling asleep and thinking about uh, the, the passages that I've been studying and reading and, and praying over, and the cynical side of me took over. You could say the spiritually immature side of me took over, amen? And I began to think about why Jonathan would be so nice to David. And I thought to myself, I know why Jonathan did that. He knew that he could not fight against God, and he knew that David would become king, and he knew that if he wasn't nice to David, then David would have his family killed. And so he did it to cover his own back. Now... Is that why Jonathan was nice to David? No. The Bible says that's not why. But the cynical side of me wanted to surmise, and that's not healthy to do. And I had to put myself in check. And look, look at what the Scripture says as to why Jonathan was so kind to David. Look back at verse 3, 1 Samuel 18, 3. Then Jonathan and David made a covenant. Why? Because, here's the motive, he loved him as his own soul. It wasn't that Jonathan was trying to cover his own back. It was because he loved him. He genuinely loved him as his own soul. Uh, what kind of covenant did Jonathan and David enjoy? Turn over to chapter 20 and verse number 12. Sometimes the word of God can be simple and profound at the same time. Have you ever found that to be the case? Uh, the, God, the Bible, uh, the truth is so simple to wrap your mind around, but can be so 
profound and difficult to put into practice. Look at verse 12, and we're going to see one of these simple, profound truths right here. The Bible says, And Jonathan said unto David, O Lord God of Israel, when I have sounded my father about tomorrow any time or the third day, and behold, if there be good toward David, and I then sin unto thee, and show it thee, the Lord do so, and much more to Jonathan. But if it please my father to do thee evil, then I will show it thee, and send thee away, that thou mayest go in peace, and the Lord be with thee as he hath been with my father, and thou shalt not only while yet I live show me the kindness of the Lord that I die not. Look at verse 15. I have this underlined in my Bible. But also thou shalt not cut off thy kindness from my house forever. Notice there, this is a covenant of kindness. It goes on to say, No, not when the Lord hath cut off um, the enemies of David, every one from the face of the earth. So Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David, saying, Let the Lord even require it at the hand of David's enemies. And Jonathan caused David to swear again because he loved him, for he loved him as he loved his own soul. This was a covenant of kindness. Some years ago, I was at a preacher's meeting, and Brother Doug Fisher, who I believe has been here many, many years ago, pastors a church out in San Diego, California. How many of you remember Brother Fisher preaching here? A handful of you, okay. I was sitting in a, a pastor's session with Brother Fisher, and he took us to this passage in 1 Samuel, and he showed us this idea of a covenant of kindness. He said, Pastor, be careful who you let in your membership, because when someone joins your church, you are entering into with them a covenant of kindness. And it does not matter how they treat you. You are called to be kind to them. Can I tell you that when you enter into a friendship, you ought to take a covenant of kindness toward the other person. You know how we oftentimes treat people? You listen in tonight? This is so simple, but so profound. You know how we treat people? We treat people how they treat us. That's not a covenant of kindness. We're, we're kind if they're kind. We text them if they text us. Well, he ghosted me. I'm not texting him ever again. Well, um, you know, I respond on all her social media posts, but she never responds on any of mine. Are, are we being immature or what? Right? I said hello to them in the hallway, and they completely ignored me. Well, maybe those actions aren't kind, but you can't be held responsible for how they treat you. You listening tonight? You can only be held responsible for how you treat them. If you'll just commit to kindness, commit to kindness. You see, what made their friendship go is that David and Jonathan said, it does not matter what comes up. It does not matter what circumstances happen. I will be kind to you, even if you're not kind to me, and I want you to be kind to me, even if I'm not kind to you. They made a covenant of kindness. Proverbs 17, 17 says, a friend loveth at all times, at all times. Notice that it doesn't say a friend loveth when that friend is loved. That verse doesn't say a friend loveth sometimes. 
A friend loveth when it's convenient. A friend loveth when he's loved back. It says a friend loveth at all times. And when you make a choice uh, to be someone's friend, you are making a choice to be kind to them no matter how they treat you or how they respond. And someone blasts you on social media. By the way, I've been blasted my share of times on social media. I've got to say, it feels good to not be on social media because when people blast me, I don't even know about it. Amen? It's like, hey, amen. But you know what? People let me know, and I don't ask people to tell me, but you know, I'll, I'll, occasionally I get sent a screenshot. It hasn't happened in a long time, but I'll get sent a screenshot of someone just ripping me to shreds on Facebook. You know, it seems like when people want to leave the church, they just got to take me apart on Facebook on their way out. And not everyone does that, but some people have done that in the past. And, and uh, you say, well, Pastor, how do you respond? You know how I respond? In silence. In silence. That does not need my comment. It doesn't need my validation. You know how else I respond? I mean this. I'm sincere when I say this. I get on my knees and I pray for him. I turn that over to the Lord. And I ask God to give me a tender heart so that if they were ever to come to me and want to reconcile, immediately I'm ready to do so. You say, are you perfect at it, Pastor? I'm not perfect at it, but I ask God to help me with that all the time. No matter who it is that's hurt me or done me wrong or uh, I've hurt unintentionally and, and, and tried to reconcile and that's not happened, I am committed to a covenant of kindness. And if you want deep relationships like David and Jonathan, you must be committed to a covenant of kindness within those friendships. Proverbs 10:12 says, "Hatred stirreth up strife, but love covereth all sins." Love covereth all sins. Someone doesn't do you right, best thing you can do is get on your knees and pray for them and love them. Love them. Hey, don't get on the phone and gossip about them. Uh, don't get with your best friend and, and run them down. Uh, uh, don't talk about how terrible they are. Understand that people make mistakes and people are flawed and people are wrong sometimes and people are selfish sometimes and people aren't right in the way they treat us sometimes and uh, they're sinner in their nature and, and what they need you to do is get on your knees and pray for them and love them through it. You've heard me say this before, but have a giant back, a giant cemetery in your backyard where you bury the mistakes of others. We see their covenant. Letter B, speaking of uh, the commitment to their uh, friendship, we see letter B, their communication. Their communication. All right, David and Jonathan had one instance here in the scriptures where they had a pretty big confrontation with each other. David's just going to come right at Jonathan. And say, dude, what is going on? What is up with this? And he's going to go after Saul's family. He's going to go after Saul's father. Notice the grace and kindness and how they address the issue at hand and how they handle it. Look at 1 Samuel 20. Look with me at verse number 1. And I'm going to give some commentary as we read down through verse 10. But stay with me here. Begin with verse 1. The Bible says, And David fled from Naoth and Ramah. That's where he was with Samuel. And, and, and you may remember, we looked at this a couple of weeks ago. Uh, Saul comes in to kill David. And um, uh, the Spirit of the Lord takes over. And he takes off his royal garments and begins to prophesy or praise the Lord. Lays there all night prophesying and 
praising the Lord. And, and Saul knows that this spiritual ecstasy is going to wear off. And uh, David feels that he's got to get out of there before Saul comes, snaps out of it and kills him. And so he flees from Naoth and Ramah, verse 1, and came and said before Jonathan, Look here, what have I done? What is mine iniquity? And what is my sin before thy father that he seeketh my life? Notice that David directly confronts Jonathan over his father's actions. Oftentimes, friendships fall apart because people do not know how or when to confront problems hindering their friendship. Good communication knows when and when not to bring up a problem. You ever had somebody do you dirty? Maybe it was even unintentional. They really hurt you. And you think, that hurt my feelings. Right? First thing I'd say is go back to loving your Bible more and quit being offended so easy. Amen? Uh, but in the real world, sometimes we get our feelings hurt over the way someone treats us. How do you handle that? Do you run and tell someone every time they do something wrong? You're going to wear people out if you do that. Right? And you go and tell someone every time they do something that, that isn't just right, you wear people out. But... By the way, if you don't ever go tell someone when they're doing something that's hurting your friendship, then you're cheating your friendship as well. You have to know how to confront and when to confront. You say, how do I know that, Pastor? How do I know when to confront and how to confront? You get on your knees and you ask God to give you discernment and direction. Then you go with a meek and lowly spirit. You ask God through a meek and lowly spirit, on how to confront someone who isn't treating you right. You don't just get in someone's face and blast them. Galatians 6 lays all this out for us and tells them that you're prayed up and you're meek and you go to bear their burden and, and, and to restore your brother who's hurt you or living in sin themselves. You, you go uh, with a kind spirit. There is communication there. Uh, by the way, uh, friendships fall apart when there's a lack of communication. Sometimes that communication has to be hard-hitting and tough, but it should always be done with a spirit of kindness. Let's jump back into verse 2 and see how David and Jonathan resolved this problem. Verse 2, And he, I believe this is Jonathan, said unto David, said unto him, God forbid thou shalt not die. Behold, my father will do nothing, either great or small, but that he will show it me. And why should my father hide this thing from me? It is not so. David says to Jonathan, what's wrong with your dad? He's trying to kill me. What's up with that, man? Uh, get, get hold of your dad. This is wrong. And Jonathan looks back and David says, no, nah, I don't think so. I think you're exaggerating. I think you're a little out of line here, David. I think you think something that isn't actually going on. I think you're reading into things here. And this isn't so my father would have showed me. Uh, look at verse 3. And David swore moreover and said, Thy father certainly knoweth that I have found grace in thine eyes. And he saith, Let not Jonathan know this, lest he be grieved. But truly as the Lord liveth, this is a strong statement, and as thy soul liveth, there is but a step between me and death. There is but a step between me and death. Uh, David says to Jonathan, listen, your dad knows how close we are. And he knows that whatever you tell me is going to get back to me. Whatever he tells you, rather, is going to get back to me. So your dad's not telling you everything. Your dad's got things going on you don't know about. And when he said, there is but a step between me and death, that was both literal and metaphorical. Why? Three times already, Saul has taken his javelin and tried to pin David to the wall. And had he been one step one way or the other, there's a good chance David would have been a dead man. 
And so, yes, metaphorically, there was a step between him and death. But literally three times, Saul had tried to kill David. And uh, David says to Jonathan, this isn't right, man. You guys need to get this figured out. This is becoming a problem between David and Jonathan. But look at the kindness and look at the spirit Jonathan has toward David. Look at verse 4. Then said Jonathan unto David, Whatsoever thy soul desireth, I will even do it for thee. And David said unto Jonathan, Behold, tomorrow is the new moon, and I shall not fail to sit with the king at meat. But let me go, that I may hide myself in the field unto the third day at even. One little neat tidbit in here I want to slip in. David and Jonathan, while they were grown men, there was still a little boy in both of them. They had developed a little hideout in a field. I find that pretty neat, right? Like they built some kind of a fort in the woods, and uh, they go out there to their fort in the woods, their little hideout in the woods, and um, the little boy in me really enjoyed that. And so uh, David's going to go hide in the field. Look at verse number 6. If thy father at all miss me, then say, David earnestly asked leave of me that he might run to Bethlehem, his city, for there is a yearly sacrifice there for all the family. If he say thus, it is well... Thy servant shall have peace, but if he be very wroth, then he sure, then be sure that evil is determined by him. Therefore thou shalt deal kindly with thy servant, for thou hast brought thy servant into a covenant of the Lord with thee. Notwithstanding, if there be in me iniquity, slay me thyself, for uh, why shouldest thou bring me to thy father? And Jonathan, look how Jonathan replies. Jonathan said, Far be it from thee, for I knew certainly that evil were determined by my father to come into thee, when would I not tell it thee? Then said David to Jonathan, Who shall tell me? Or what is thy father, um, or what is, uh, if thy father answer thee roughly? Listen, David is asking Jonathan to do something wrong here. David says to Jonathan, Listen, here's the plan, all right? At the new moon, when we have this big dinner, and, and, and David is now the king's son-in-law, he's married to the king's daughter, uh, uh, the family's going to gather to eat, and I'm supposed to be there. And b- by me not being there, if your father is ill-tempered toward me, uh, then that's going to show. If, if he's good with me, then that will show. And so when he asks why I'm not there, tell him that I went home to Bethlehem to eat with my family. Was David going to be in Bethlehem eating with his family? No. He's going to be hiding in the field. David is asking Jonathan to lie for him, to see how dad responds. Jonathan goes along with a plan, as we'll see here shortly, but Jonathan, uh, Jonathan is committed to do what is necessary to make the friendship work. And he reassures him, he says, listen, I am not in some sort of conspiracy to have you killed. If I would have known about dad, if I would have known this was an issue, I would have told you. Now, what's the takeaway uh, for us this evening? Listen, good friendships are built on communication. Communication. You must communicate. By the way, if you're married in here this evening, your best friend should be your spouse. Amen? Let me say that again. Your best friend should be your spouse. Amen. Don't you go confiding in somebody before you confide in your husband or wife. You be close with them and you keep your heart open to them. And don't you shut, don't you put a wall up. By the way, don't you run around and gripe about your husband and wife to anyone who will listen. That's a good way to hurt your friendship with your spouse. You need counsel, go see a counselor and go together. But don't you call someone on the phone and say, my husband's a sorry good for nothing, or my wife's a terrible uh, ball and chain. Don't do that. Amen? 
They don't act that way. You are married to that person. Have some integrity in that friendship. And you confront them over the issue. You work through with them through the issue. Don't you run and be measly mouthed and run your mouth to anyone and everyone who will listen. And by the way, don't be that person who lets someone call and complain to you about their friend because you're giving in to gossip. Their communication, good friendships, committed friendships are built on strong communication. We see letter C, I'm talking about the commitment to their friendship, we see their, com- their companionship. Their companionship. Many friendships are built upon temporary circumstances. When the circumstances change, the friendships change. And, and I don't mean that in any kind of an unkind way. When I went to Bible college, I had friends I made in Bible college. And since I've left Bible college, I haven't even spoken to many of these people. And I was genuinely their friend when we were in college together, and I'm genuinely not their friend now that we're not in college. The circumstances change and the friendships change. That's just how life goes. And every church I've been a part of my entire life, I've developed friendships in those places. And I'm still fond toward those people, and they're fond toward me. And if I were to walk back into any of those churches and they were there, we'd probably pick up right where we left off. But when the circumstances change, the friendships change but there are, uh, if you are a spiritual Christian who walks with the Lord and you develop a maturity, a foundation of spiritual maturity, then what you'll find is that once or twice in a lifetime, God very well may bring into your life a person that has such a deep friend to you that even when the circumstances change, the status of your friendship does not. That is special. That is special. Understand that um, we all have many friends, right? Some I, I, back when I was on Facebook, I at one point I think I had 500 and 600 friends on Facebook, and I didn't even know half of them, right? And just friend of a friend of a friend, and you know we got linked up on Facebook, and you know you go through your friend list, and it's like ax him, ax her. I don't even know who this person is, but listen, uh, there there are people who are friends. They're really more companions. They're really more acquaintances than they are true friends. You say, well, how many deep, deep friendships can I expect in a lifetime? Honestly, from my studying and understanding of this, you can expect one or two deep, deep friendships that last a lifetime. And if you get that, you are blessed. If you don't have that, I would encourage you to grow close to the Lord. Develop a strong relationship with the Lord. Develop that foundation of spiritual maturity and then wait on the Lord to bring that friend along to you. For David, it was Jonathan. For Jonathan, it was David. The two deeply, deeply loved each other with a brotherhood that only few ever truly enjoy. I want to speak to um, something maybe a little more sensitive on this topic, and there's a level of closeness that two people of the same gender can know that is a different intimacy, a different closeness than even a close, close, close marriage between a husband and a wife. And there is a kinship that two men can share that is, that is, that is a deep love that is not romantic. There is a deep kinship two women can share that is a deep love for each other that is not a romantic love or an eros love. Let me give you a couple of examples here. Take, uh, take uh, a group of guys who... Um, are on the same 
professional sports team. And they're sleeping in the same hotels. They're eating in the same restaurants. They're working out in the same uh, gym. Uh, they're, they're, they're sweating together. They're bleeding together. Uh, they're working hard together. They develop a deep brotherhood, a deep passion and, and they play an entire season together and overcome injuries together and then they overcome teams in playoffs and they get to that finale whether it's the world cup in soccer the world series in baseball the nba finals or uh, the super bowl they get to that point together and they go out there and after maybe either a season or two or three or four can be years of fighting and working and and helping each other that kinship brings them to a place where they win a championship together and there's a brotherhood that's fused that so few could ever understand. This is why uh, after a World Series win, you see guys uh, dogpiling on top of the pitcher on the mound, and they're jumping up and down, and they're hugging each other, and, and they're sweating and slobbering all over each other, and you think, that is weird. No, that's not weird. That's the relationship David and Jonathan enjoyed. That's a kinship, a brotherhood that's developed. Um, I've had the privilege of working in church ministry uh, prior to here for several years, and I developed a kinship uh, with Curtis King. He and I have a podcast together. We served the Lord together. We had big days together. We saw church grow together. We saw people saved and discipled and grow the Lord. And we were in the trenches, spiritual trenches, doing work together. And God bound our hearts together in a kinship was enjoyed. Listen, um, I'll give you an even greater example of this is a group of soldiers who go through boot camp together and then are put together on the same uh, team, the same uh, battalion, and sent out to war together. And they're uh, covering each other's six or covering each other's back in a, in a, in a, uh, a foxhole. And, and they're watching their brothers in war die. And they're helping to carry their wounded and dead out of war. And they make it all the way through war together. Listen, there is a bond. There is an intimacy. There is a closeness that those men enjoy that a husband and wife will never understand. Will never understand. There's a closeness there. And it's not romantic in any way. Too oftentimes I think that we mistake these David and Jonathan type relationships that God wants to give to men or to women and it gets turned by Satan into something that's homosexual, something that's unnatural, an unnatural affection. Understand there's no need for that. God has designed for men to be close and love each other and women to be close and love each other in a way that is not marital at all. These two men, David and Jonathan, they had a deep, deep, deep Love for each other, a deep, deep, deep companionship. Look at 1 Samuel 20, look at verse 41 where we began this evening. The Bible says, And as soon as the lad was gone, David arose out of a place toward the south and fell on his face to the ground and bowed himself three times. They're getting ready to depart. They don't know that they ever will see each other again. The Bible says, And they kissed one another. That was customary. That fit within their customs. Amen. Pastor Andrew, don't ever try to kiss me. Amen. Can we just make a deal that's never going to happen? Amen. All right. And they kissed one another and wept one with another until David exceeded. And Jonathan said to David, Go in peace, for as much as we have sworn both of us in the name of the Lord, saying, 
the Lord be between me and thee, and between my seed and thy seed forever. And he arose and departed, and Jonathan went into the city. These two men knew they were going to depart. They didn't know if they'd ever see each other again. They, were, they loved each other so deeply that even though the miles would separate them, their hearts would stay as one. Why? They were committed to that friendship. Committed to that friendship. Let's look lastly at number three, and we'll move through this one quickly. Number three, notice the complexities of their friendship. Letter A, notice loyalties challenged. Go back to 1 Samuel 20. Look with me at verse number 27. The Bible says, And it came to pass on the morrow, which was the second day of the month, that David's place was empty. And Saul said unto Jonathan his son, Wherefore cometh not the son of Jesse to meet, neither yesterday nor today? Jonathan answered Saul, David earnestly asked, leaving me to go to Bethlehem. He said, Let me go, I pray thee, for our family hath the sacrifice in the city, and my brother, he hath commanded me to be there. And now, if I have found favor in thine eyes, let me go away, I pray thee. And see my brethren, therefore he cometh not unto the king's table. So Jonathan lies on behalf of David. Verse 30. Then Saul's anger was kindled against Jonathan. And he said unto him, Thou son... This is um, how carnal Saul was. He had choice words for his wife. Look here. Thou son of the perverse, rebellious woman, do not I know that thou hast chosen the son of Jesse to thine own confusion and unto the confusion of thy mother's nakedness? Wow. Verse 31. For as long as the son of Jesse liveth upon the ground, thou shalt not be established, nor thy kingdom. Wherefore now send and fetch him until unto me, for he shall surely die. Jonathan here had been put in a very, very difficult position. No doubt Jonathan loved his father. No doubt Jonathan was loyal to his father. Jonathan was one of his father's top generals in the military. Jonathan's whole life was wrapped up in being the son of Saul and um, uh, being the prince of the country. Dad had invested much in him, grooming him to be Israel's next king. But while he felt a loyalty to Dad and uh, to his family, he also felt a sense of loyalty to David. He had made a covenant with him and did not want to go back on his word. It was clear and obvious that God had chosen David to be the next king. What do you do when you're put in this position? What do you do when you're put in a position where your loyalties are challenged? Tug of war between you and and, and two different people. Tug of war between uh, what you believe and who your friends are. What do you do? You lovingly get yourself in line with God. David was in the right as a whole, not with a lie, but David was in a right with where he was and where he was going, and dad, for Jonathan, dad was in the wrong. When your loyalties and friendship are challenged, and you feel as though you are being pulled in multiple directions, you should make the choice that pleases the Lord. We see that his loyalties were challenged, letter B. We see that Jonathan's life was endangered. Life endangered, letter B. Uh, choosing David's side would not only cost uh, Saul favor with his, or Jonathan favor with his father, but as we will see in a moment, it was going to put his life in danger. Look at verse Samuel chapter 20, look at verse 32. And Jonathan answered Saul his father and said unto him, Wherefore shall he be slain? What hath he done? 
And Saul cast a javelin at him, we see his intent here, to smite him. Whereby Jonathan knew that it was determined of his father to slay David. So Jonathan arose from the table in fierce anger and did eat no meat the second day of the month. For he was grieved for David because his father had done him shame. Jonathan stood up for his friend and dad tried to kill him over it. The complexities of friendship is when we're given ultimatums in friendships. Boy, that can be tough. Especially when it leads to your own life being in danger. Speaking of Jonathan and their complexities of their friendship, Jonathan and David, notice letter C, love proven, love proven. David and Jonathan had developed an outdoor hideout. I mentioned that earlier. Jonathan could have given up David and had him killed. By the way, when you love someone, you make yourself vulnerable to them. You understand that? You make yourself vulnerable. As you shut off the vulnerability, you are shutting off the love. You say, I'm putting up this fence because I've been hurt by this person and I'm not going to be hurt by him again. That's fine. Put that fence up. But understand, you are limiting how much you love them. Understand, David's in a hideout. He has no way out. If Jonathan wanted David killed, he could have very easily had him killed. And here, David is even questioning Jonathan's commitment to the relationship just a few verses earlier Jonathan's going to prove that, no, he's not going to take care of David's vulnerability, take advantage of David's vulnerability. Now, through some sort of pre-planned code with shooting arrows in the field and the way the servant boy would be communicated to, David, uh, uh, they, they worked out this pre-planned code, and then David said his goodbyes. 35, look at with me at verse 35, and it came to pass in the morning that Jonathan went out into the field at the time appointed with David and a little lad with him, And he said unto his lad, Run, find out now the arrows which I shoot. And as the lad ran, he shot an arrow beyond him. And when the lad was come to the place of the arrow which Jonathan shot, Jonathan cried after the lad and said, Is not the arrow beyond thee? And Jonathan cried after the lad, Make speed, hey, stay not. And Jonathan's lad gathered up the arrows and came to his master. But the lad knew not anything, only Jonathan and David's knew the matter. There was a code there. And Jonathan gave his artillery into his lad and said unto him, Go, carry them to the city. And as soon as the lad was gone, David arose out of a place toward the south and fell on his face to the ground and bowed himself three times. And they kissed one another and wept one another until David exceeded. There was no question that Jonathan loved David. There was no question that David loved Jonathan. We see Jonathan doing the heavy lifting in the friendship here, uh, not to give away a sermon several months from now, but David would return the favor. David would give Jonathan a proper burial after his death. David would make sure that Jonathan's son, Mephibosheth, was looked after and loved and had a place in the palace. David would keep his end of the bargain as well when it was his turn. Sometimes in a friendship, you are called upon in a season to do the heavy lifting, to do the loving. Don't get discouraged. Stay the course. Stay the course. What, what's the thrust of the message this evening? The thrust of the message is that true friendship is built on a foundation of spiritual maturity. Maybe your marriage struggles, the friendship in your marriage struggles, because you are not spiritually mature. Maybe your friendships with those in this church struggle or outside of this church struggle because you are not spiritually mature. Let's make a commitment tonight that God would help us to build a foundation of spiritual maturity, that we would commit to a covenant of kindness, that we would commit to strong communication, that we would commit to a heart of compassion to those 
that we call friends. Let's have our heads bowed and eyes closed this evening. Lord, thank you for the Bible. Thank you for how it ministered to my heart as this message was put together. And Lord, I pray that tonight each of us would make commitments to be the Christians you'd have us to be. Lord God, please work in our hearts. And now as we turn our attention to the Lord's Supper table, may our hearts be committed to having uh, sin uh, uh, confessed in a heart that's pure toward you and toward others. Be with us now during this time of invitation. In Jesus' name.